Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to this part of the service. I greet you in the name of Jesus, and I see that, uh, I guess my title is working. I, when, when you think of titles, I always think of, you know, a f- couple words that will grab the attention of someone and, and, and something that they can remember next week. And so I think uh, Linford probably for sure will. We're really, we're, we're going to be talking about following Jesus. And I, I really thought I would title it something like that, about following Jesus. But um, I... We're we're also going to be there's we're going to be talking about the F factor, and so uh, yeah we'll we'll get there. <clears throat> Would like to start with uh, I guess we're, we're we're kind of building on my last message again of when I uh, the the had been titled a a ransom for many, and we talked about how Jesus was a ransom for us, and he, he paid the price to Satan that bought us back what had rightfully been his, and so that we are now free to be a part of the kingdom of God. So we're, we're, we're going to be um, going from there. The scripture we're going to look at this morning is found in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. And this is just after Peter had confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And so, it says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So... The, the question that we're looking at this morning is exactly what does Jesus mean when he says to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me? That's, that's what we're going to be looking at. First of all, I would like to address, or I'd like to recognize, I guess, that as people... We typically, we, we, we find ourselves, whether we consciously choose to or not, we find ourselves following something. There's something in our lives that motivates us to get out of bed every morning, to, to go to work every day, to, to do whatever we do. There's something that motivates the choices that we make about what we where, what we, where we go, and what we do for in our spare time. There's something that motivates us. And, and so um, I'd, I'd like to 
to, I'd like for us to just simply, before we look at following Jesus, recognize that all of us, whether we realize it or not, we do follow, we do, we desire to follow something. And I, I talked about that a little bit a while back in a message um, titled Created for Community and how that we as people, where we de- God has created us to desire fellowship with, with other people. And so we're, we're wired we're to, to, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, the deception that Satan has brought into this world is that we can be we, we can be our own source of life. In other words, we, can, we, can, we don't need something to follow. We can, we can chart our own path, and in essence, we can be our own God and create our own identity and our own things. The lie in this is that when we do that, and we all start there, when we do that, we, in essence, we are slaves to him. So I'd like to just think for a little bit about the different ways that people do this, the different things that people follow. There's all the money and effort that people put into getting accepted at an exclusive school and thus belonging to uh, the alumnus of that network. And, you know, I, maybe this is a little bit biased in my opinion, but I think of Notre Dame, of all the... Uh, you know, the prestige and everything that goes with that. Um, and, and, and there's people that will work, they, they will desire to be a part of something like that because it brings a sense of identity. Of course, we have our jobs and careers, the massive amounts of time and energy that are spent to maybe... maybe uh, Further our education so that we can we can gain one more notch in 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 our career and 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 all that. Another big one is is the sports world. People will be we 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 talk of you know are you a a fan of Notre Dame or are you a a Colts fan or or what are you and and uh, a lot of people spend huge amounts of time and money and and just become wrapped up in, in following after their team and will pay exorbitant prices to go watch a game. Um, the word fan, if you're a fan of a team, is actually short for fanatic. The definition of fanatic says excessive enthusiasm and often intense, uncritical devotion. In other words, you are simply, it doesn't matter if they do everything wrong. And I hear people talk about that sometimes. They, you know, their team is, is losing badly. Doesn't make a bit of difference. They are fans all the way, whether it's whoever, the, you know, the Colts or whoever. They're still fans. They're fanatics. And so if we observe and think about people People, we follow something. There's, we like to be connected to other people, to, to something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, we, of course, 
there's people that are very patriotic, and they, you know, some uh, people might be moved to tears at, at the uh, national anthem being sung, and, and that gives them that sense of belonging. Um, and of course, this will also work, this also happens in churches, and, and maybe, uh, um, you know, maybe religious things. It can also happen there, that people will have a sense of identity and a sense of belonging in a religious activity that really is not from God, but something that they follow after. And of course, ask anybody in law enforcement about street gangs. Um, you know, young men who don't have fathers, and, and they, they, become, they become a part of a gang. And, and literally what really happens is that there are father figures in that gang that, that call out these young men, and they get a source of identity through doing evil. Now, just because you're a Colts fan, or just because you're a part of a church, or just because you um, doesn't mean that those things are wrong and bad in themselves. But I'm just using that to illustrate that we as people, we desire to, to follow something, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. In fact, if that were not so, then why bother with all this relational stuff? Why have, what's up with all the pain that relationships cause? Why aren't we all our individual little hermits? Why do we need to continue to interact with each other? It's because God has created us that way. God has created us to, to be part of something bigger than ourselves and ultimately to follow something. So as we look at this scripture... I'd like to, we, as, we, as I taught in the last message, that the ransom is paid. Jesus came and shed his blood and paid the price for us. It is finished. It is done. There is nothing more that we can do that will enhance or that will, that will help us to, to pay that or earn our salvation. Um. It's done. You know, think about this building. It's completed. If we all showed up in our work clothes and, and we're going to put a roof on, what's the point? It's done. If we came here to, um, to lay the carpet or put the ceiling tile in, it's done. We cannot. It, in, in essence, what happens is if we would do that, wouldn't that be a joke? If we showed up here in our work clothes and we're going to put the roof on, the roof is it's done. So... What I'm, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is not in any way, shape, or form is it, is it buying or paying for our own sin. However, there is something required from us, and that is going to be, that's the if factor.
Jesus gives us in this passage, we've already read it, we won't read it again, but Jesus gives us in this passage some requirements in order to receive the gift. And because God has created us with free will, he cannot force the gift onto us. We need to choose to accept the gift. And so, it, it would, if, 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 we, if that were not so, then man would not have free will. So I'd like to consider, what does Jesus mean when he says, especially the first two verses, when he says, whoever desires to come after me, whoever desires the gift, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so, as we ponder this today, I'd like for us to I'd like to start with considering what how did the how did the people in Jesus' time, how did they what did they hear Jesus say? So we know um, it would appear that there were his disciples and, and more people probably listening, but for the disciples especially, he had called them earlier. He had asked them to follow him, and they had done that. They had left everything and had followed him. And now he's telling them this. And especially, what do you think they thought when he says, take up your cross and follow me? If you were living in, in that era of time, I'm sure the cross would mean what? There's one thing that the cross meant. Death. I'm sure most of these people probably had seen the processions heading out of town, out of the city, and there's a convict or two or three, and they're carrying their own crosses. Those men are dead. There is no coming off the cross alive. So here Jesus says, if you desire to come after me, you take up your cross and you come after me. I'd like to... Before we look at this more, I'd like to talk a little bit about a rabbi and his Talmudim. And I don't know how many of you remember a while back, Jonathan shared the story of how Jewish boys, the education, um, how that education in, in would, would work young, young men uh, children, actually all children, boys and girls from ages four to, four to about 12 would, would study in an elementary class and most of it they would learn to recite by, or memorize the Torah. Um, and after this time, most of, that's most, most of them, that was all the schooling they got. However, after when you were 12, at that time this, they would graduate from that class and that's, that's the, at that time 
I'm not sure where this all started. That time they would also have the, the bar mitzvah where they would call young men out to be, or young boys out to be boy, uh, men. Um, and it, it would appear that, you know, we, we see this in Jesus' life. Remember when he was at the temple, they would experience, this was also when, when young men would experience their first Passover. Um, Jesus went with um, Joseph and Mary to the temple, and we know, uh, or to the Passover, and we know from his dialogue that he had with, with the people at the temple, he obviously had some education. Boys ages 13 to 15, the best of, of that class, they would continue their education. This would now include learning a trade. And this would include learning the entire Jewish scriptures, which would include the prophets, as well as the, the, first, the, the books of Moses. This was likely taught by a, a local rabbi there in the community. And once that was completed, then this little elite group, those who finished that they would present themselves to a rabbi in hopes that he might choose them to follow him. Now, they could select a rabbi, but the rabbi had to approve them or had to, had to choose them and to call them out. And here, again, not everybody made the cut. If you were chosen you would live with the rabbi and you would learn to follow him to do education now went beyond just formal education of learning scripture and memorizing scripture uh it went it now went to you would pattern as a as a uh, young talmud you would which means disciple your life was now from ages 15 to 30, your life would be walking, eating, sleeping with the rabbi. And you would learn, you would, you would try to not only learn the things that he knew here, but you would learn to, to live your life just like he does. So that you can then, once you are 30 or, or older, then you would become a rabbi and then you would in turn teach others. And I, I relate this little story. I think Jonathan did a much better job of, of relating that. But to, just simply to show that Jesus has called, in this passage, he has called all of us. And the education that we have or where we find ourselves in life is not that important. <clears throat> but there is something that is important And that's what we want to look at a little bit here. The question that I want to look at specifically is what is our cross? What is our cross? When we think of the rabbi having called us and we want to follow, 
and he says, take up your cross and follow what is taking place. Obviously, we know that he's not speaking of a literal cross where we're going to die physically, but what does he mean? You know, sometimes I've said this myself, you know, we, we talk of uh, something in our life that is difficult maybe or is painful or whatever it is, and we say, well, I guess that's just the cross I have to bear. Is that what Jesus means here when he says, take up your cross? I don't think it is. I would like to consider, if we, when we, as we consider the cross, um, consider a few words that Jesus has said in, in Matthew 10, verses 37 and 39, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So I think what we're, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is asking us, just like the Talmud of old, to, to leave everything. He says here, if, if we love our mother or father, now obviously he's not saying don't love them, but if that is what is holding us back, then we need to let go. He's using a very close relationship here to show that this is still more important. And so, This is what I consider the if factor, I guess, is that we, we leave, in order for us to benefit, to receive the value of what Jesus has paid, we need to lay down ourselves, leave everything, and follow after him. Otherwise, there is no benefit to us for what Jesus has done. And so I, I call it the if factor because... And then some of you might not understand this, but if you're, if you're, I'm a little bit of a nerd maybe, and in, in, uh, if you're working on in an Excel spreadsheet, some of you will know what this means. There's, you can insert a formula that's called an if formula, and what happens is if, let's say you, you have a, a cell and you, you have a sum, you're adding the column, and you have a sum, you can put an if formula ahead of that, and if the sum hits a certain whatever you set it, the, the script will become red. Maybe you could, if you do your, your checkbook on there, if it, if it gets below zero, then you could set it so that it is red. And so what, what, what's happening is, if a certain condition is met, the if factor, the if formula in, in Excel kicks in. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Jesus has paid the ransom. It is done and it is finished. 
but there's something, there's something else that needs to take place. And when that happens, if that happens, then your salvation is, is completed. <clears throat> like to look at a few more scriptures. So maybe connecting back to what I talked about as far as what we follow as people and the things that we do to, in order for us to, uh, um, to connect or to be a part of something bigger, many times what is happening is we're trying to be our own source of life and we think that we can create our own identity and our own life. That needs to die. That, that I, that self, is what needs to die. I'd look at, uh, like to look, first of all, at Romans 6, a very familiar passage here, and, and just see what's taking place. Uh, Paul has just finished making the case that, that we are saved by grace, and then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, when we become baptized, when we confess publicly that we believe in Jesus Christ and we will follow after him, and we, we are baptized into Jesus' death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... We also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the completion of this is the resurrection. Jesus gives us a new life, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died, the I... On the cross, that's the cross that we pick up, is giving up our own ideas and our own efforts to attain some source of identity or life. We are freed from sin. You see, the if factor has taken place. We have capitalized on what Jesus has done on the cross. Again, in Galatians 2.20, Paul does basically the same topic, the same thing here. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, he's now talking about the, the life, who we are today, that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice, I live by faith. That is, on, on I, the things that I do, even though maybe I don't quite understand, I am faithful in the things that I do know. I, I practice, you cannot have faith without some sort of, of action or, or something. You, you start your journey even though you don't quite see the end of it. So the big I needs to go. I'd like to go back to Romans 6 again. I don't want to leave us dead. 
Romans 6, picking up in verse 8, we had earlier read to verse 7, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, death no longer has dominion over him because we've capitalized on what Jesus, by Jesus paid the ransom. He has freed us from the bondage that Satan had over us. So Satan, death, has no more legal hold on us. We've been moved into the kingdom of God. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon, that's a, that's a, a, that's a, uh, a mental picture. So, what, what has happened here, and, and later on in, in Romans, Paul talks about us uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, this has happened. This is done. And so we need to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. That has no more power over us, and we are alive over here in the kingdom of God. So the things that I do, even though, as James teach, taught Last Sunday, even though I might fall and trip, I am alive unto God. So, Jesus has called us, the rabbi, he has called us to be his Talmud, to be his disciples. I'd like to look at three characteristics of a follower of Christ. What does it mean to follow after Jesus? To, what does it mean to, what, as, we, as we have taken up our cross and we have been crucified with him and we have been resurrected with him, how does this look, this, this life of faith that Paul writes about there in Galatians, as we walk by faith, how does that look? Three characteristics. The first one is we acknowledge him as Lord. The definition of Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or ruler. So if Jesus paid the price for our ransom and bought us back, is he our Lord? Well, yes. He has bought us. We are his. So whether we, and, and we'll see this in Scripture, but whether we acknowledge it or not, he is our Lord. Just a few Scriptures. Romans 14 here, Paul's talking about how, how we ought to live together. Right here in the middle, and he says, uh, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Jesus is Lord, whether we recognize it, whether we accept it or not. Because of what he has done on the cross, there is, we can ignore it all we want, but that is still the truth. Another scripture in Philippians 2, Two verses nine and eleven. 
Therefore, God has... He, Paul's writing there that because Jesus had humbled himself and was obedient to death, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sooner or later, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. My desire this morning is that all of us would make that sooner rather than later. Number two, we are obedient to him. Someone that is faithfully walking, as Paul wrote, following Jesus is obedient. We recognize him as Lord. First thing I'd like to look at here is that just because we name him, number one, we acknowledge him as Lord, just because we name him Lord doesn't mean that we shall enter the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, this is right there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. So if we do the will of someone, we are being obedient to them. And we see again in the same chapter there, a couple verses later, um, Jesus says, Therefore, because of what I've just said here in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he goes on into that little story that we all know so well. And he talks about the wise man and the foolish man. But what a lot of people miss sometimes is that he's saying that the, the message there is that you are a wise man if you do what he has said and a foolish man if you do not do. Going out to uh, John chapter 15, verses 9 and 11. As the Father, this is there in Jesus' last dialogue there with the disciples, just before he's crucified. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. See, the rabbi has given us example. The rabbi has asked us to follow, to not only know what he has taught, but to live exactly as he has lived. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He has taught us so that our joy may be full. He has not only, he's not only taught us, but he's shown us, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. And then also in Revelations 22 there, And behold, I am coming quickly. Again, this is Jesus' words to John. And my reward is with me to give everyone according to his works, 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, what is the right to the tree of life? Well, that's eternal life. If you do his commandments, that is what gets you that eternal life. It's not just calling him Lord, Lord, but it's also being obedient to him. Okay, number three. We see others as Christ sees us. Let's go back there to John 15. Let's take it on going on here. Pick up there where we had left. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So, Jesus is asking us to do exactly what he did. Other people are more important. Other people's... I give myself for others. For the sake of their souls, I am willing to lay down my life or to give up my opinion. Remember what Paul writes about 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 being sensitive to conscience? No, not my conscience, but the other person's conscience. Give yourself for the other person. And of course, there's a lot of other scriptures. John writes a lot about that in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, the whole first epistle of John speaks a lot about how how that we are to love others. The only way that we know that we love him is if we love others the same way that he loved us. I'd like to finish with a small portion of Scripture in the end of John. John 21, 15 to 19. This is after the resurrection, and this is, I think, this is a, a personal call to Peter, but I think it's recorded here for us as well. They had been fishing, and Jesus had prepared a breakfast for them there on the shore. And so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. Now, if we study the Greek words in this, I think we've, most of us are probably aware of this, but if we study the Greek words in this, the answer that Peter gave is, is not love in the agape love, which was the word that Jesus was using. It was more a word of saying, I like you. We're pals. And he said to him again his second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He's asking him to, to he's, Jesus is asking Peter to love the way that he had loved. But Peter 
is a little evasive. He again just says, you know that I like you. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, and here, if we look at the Greek, Jesus says, do you like me? I believe this is why Peter was grieved, because he, not because it was the third time, but see, Jesus is revealing his lack of, his, his lack of uh, devotion. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walk where you wish, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And we know from the testimony of Acts and, and other extra-biblical uh, sources that Peter did follow Jesus. This morning, I would like to exhort all of us to follow Jesus, to acknowledge Him as Lord, to be obedient to Him, and to see others as Christ has seen us. I'll pray and then, Laverne, do you want to close? Father, we thank you that you are good to us, that you have loved us, that you have given yourself for us, that you have paid the ransom for us, Father. This morning I ask, Lord, that you would enable all of us, Lord, by your grace to to follow after you, to take up our cross, Lord, to give up our own selfish ways, Lord, to embrace the life that you have to offer us. Lord, we are grateful that you've done this. We praise you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.